Welcome to All Things IDD, hosted by the ARC of Wichita County. This podcast is a place where we will be sharing resources for those with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their families, raise awareness, as well as create a space for stories by and about those with disabilities. Today's episode is going to walk through what IDD means. We have a psychologist from our local IDD authority joining us today to help talk through it all with us. If you don't mind introducing yourself. Okay, my name is Stephanie Kramer. I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, I work in the IDD provider department for Helen Furby Centers currently. I've been at Helen Furby going on nine years now, and I've been in this department for going on three. I wanted to have somebody here that really knew what they were talking about. Well, I hope like, to live up to that yeah. expectation. Well, I mean, more so than me. I can do a good Google search. Okay. <laughs> but I wanted our um, listeners to hear it from a professional about what IDD is. I mean, it's in our title of our podcast and we wanted to set everybody up well. Sure. You know, those acronyms uh, can get confusing. We throw them out for everything and then um, they become so common we don't even know what they stand for anymore. It's like <laughs> trying to identify the seven dwarfs. You can get the first six and then you <laughs> go through and you found a different set of six, but you can't come yeah. up with seven. <laughs> Um, IDD is uh, individuals with developmental uh, disabilities, so intellectual and developmental disabilities. So basically there's a deficiency in um, the ability to uh, retain or uh, utilize information that is stored in the brain. Um, Developmental disabilities can can range anywhere from neurological disabilities um, to more physiological disabilities, medical conditions and those are uh, dual di- duly diagnosed is what we call that when the, all those diagnoses kind of come together they can also be mental health diagnoses as well sometimes the result is behavioral issues um, and those have to be addressed as well so it's, it's just a multitude of, of things that could potentially interfere with the individual's quality of life okay and typically, when does somebody find out, when does a parent find out that their child has a disability? That's a good question. It varies. So sometimes um, in the womb with some of the genetic testing that is done nowadays, um, they can find those things out even before the child is born. Other times, those things have to develop, something like autism, where uh, they're looking for milestones to be met how soon is the baby sitting up? Is the baby able to crawl? Is the baby able to, to swallow foods appropriately? Those types of things can be identified early. And then other times it just takes a longer period of time. Uh, maybe they've met those milestones, but then we see what's called regression. So the baby that could crawl and stand up, now all of a sudden it too is struggling to stand up and walk like they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe language skills diminish like they talked normally up until about four or five, but then we see this reduction of their abilities to communicate, in which case um, the physicians usually kind of gather together and go, what, what are we really looking at here and what can we diagnose at an early age? Mm-hmm. Usually prior to the age of 18 um, is when we get a diagnosis, a good diagnosis for what we're going to see that carries on over into the adult world. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think I saw something about like before the age of 22 or because isn't 
after if a diagnosis is given after a certain age is it defined as something else or do you know what I'm talking about I like vaguely remember hearing something about that so to get certified for certain services in the state of Texas it has to be diagnosed prior to the age of 22 and then it's not diagnosed differently but the certification for assisted care changes okay so it wouldn't be considered something that happened um in childhood or adolescence, it would be considered an adult diagnosis. Okay. So the diagnosis wouldn't be different. Say someone in their 60s who's lived an entire lifetime with certain struggles because they were autistic and it didn't get diagnosed because they grew up in a time when that wasn't prevalent. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean they don't have it. It just means it's difficult for us to get certified for services at that point. Okay. I do remember a member at the ARC, um, you know, she had lived with her mom and um, was, um, very independent. Um, but her mom actually passed away and she had never received a diagnosis or we couldn't find any paperwork on it. Like, you know, do you remember, I mean, and she was in her sixties, I believe. Mm -hmm. Like, do you remember in school, (laughs) were you in special ed class? You know, like exactly. And so they had to do the testing. And I remember there was something with that of, a later in life diagnosis, but right. it's, it's more regarding the services. Right. And at that point, a lot of people ask, well, what do I do now since that wasn't diagnosed early? How, how do I go about seeking assistance? Because like you said, the family could have been an excellent support mm-hmm. or they may have, have had a, a system of supports where a f- family friend or neighbor or grandmother or aunt or cousin, somebody provided excellent care and the individual has been able to develop uh, to where they were fairly independent. But now that their support system kind of dwindles as we age, for all of us it does that and we have to reshape how that looks. Right. So now what do we do? I need, need services that I never needed before. Mm-hmm. The services were provided by family and my support system. Right. So. Um, IQ testing is the number one way to get that accomplished. If we can certify uh, low IQ, something below 80, then um, we can begin there and then start adding on any other diagnoses that may follow so that we can send that to the state for Mm -hmm. um, review. Okay. And you're saying we send this to the state. So you work at Helen Farabee. Correct. Which it can, I mean, I've been in this uh, profession now for a little over five years and it still is it can get confusing and so I know new parents coming in it's like where do I even start um, but you have the mental health side of Helen Therapy, you have the IDD side mm-hmm. and then you're also the local IDD authority correct so um, I'm glad you asked that question because I, ha- I had a call this week actually someone said I don't understand how this works and I've got a family member coming in um, from out of state. So I had to explain that. Um, the local IDD authority is um, tr- true for all of the state of Texas. We have local IDD authorities. And what that means is, I, I always explain it like this. You have the FCC, which governs our communication systems for the United States. So they are a governor of services. Sprint, AT&T, Verizon, those are all cell phone companies that provide a service within that communication system. So the local IDD authority is kind of like the FCC for certain areas. In our case, it's 19 counties for Helen Furby centers. And so what they do is they certify services. So they um, 
are in contact with the state to get those services for individuals certified, and then they talk to them about a provider of services. Who would you like to be your cell phone carrier, so to speak? So who would you like to carry on these services for you? And there are different companies that do that. Helen Ferby just so happens to have a provider carrier, mm-hmm. if you So there's will. another layer. Exactly. <laughs> they also provide some services. Exactly. So, so they, they help with arranging the services, and then I'm on the side that actually provides services to the individuals. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was a great explanation. Thank I'm glad you. we have that documented somewhere. <laughs> we can refer people to this podcast so that, to help them understand right. because, yeah, it is complicated. But It is, even for the mental health side because um, Helen Furby is a local mental health authority and they govern 19 counties and yet they have provision of services they just have to help the individual when they come to Helen Ferriby find what services they qualify for and and try to meet those needs by providing services to okay them. okay so that is why if somebody calls the ARC and they're like I don't know where to start 99% of the time we are like Yep, sounds like you need to go to Helen Fairby. Exactly. Yeah, they're kind of the in route to, to helping out in, in various ways with how can you get the services certified? How can we carry out those services to best meet your needs? Mm-hmm. Are there any common misconceptions that you've noticed now being in this field for some time um, that either people that don't have disabilities have or people with disabilities, you know, think something is going to be one way or... I think from from my perspective, the thing that I try to reach out with um, family members to communicate is we're not dealing with individuals who are unintelligent. Everyone is intelligent. And the biggest struggle is how can the client or the customer, in our case, communicate to us what their needs are. And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes there are difficulties with speech. Sometimes we have clients who are nonverbal and we look to behaviors for them to communicate. What does that client actually need? What is going on with them? Sometimes, you you know, all of us have experienced, I wake up, I don't feel so good. You know, your spouse says, how are you this morning? And you snap at them because you're not feeling well. You don't communicate, I'm not feeling well today. Right, just yeah. basically your behavior says, mm-hmm. I'm not feeling well. Mm-hmm. And so learning to, from our perspective, learning to understand what this individual's needs are based on how they're communicating to us is important. And we shouldn't mistake that for unintelligent. Right. Um, or, or behaviors as just because they want to act out and because they're defiant. It's, right. It's a form of communication. None of us wake up that morning and say, I'm going to really mess up everybody's yeah. world today. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we, we want life to be happy and healthy, and sometimes it's just hard to get there. And, and the ones that, that we surround ourselves with are people that we feel understand us. Mm. So that's how we all make progress in this world. So there's really not a difference in, in that capacity. We just have to learn to understand one another, and so that way we can assist in whatever the need is. Oh, that's good. I love that. What is one of your favorite things about working with people with IDD? There's genuineness. So what I see is what the client is feeling is what the client is thinking. And um, I'm always honored when they trust me to communicate because they know even if I don't understand their language at that moment, I will work to understand it. And they're so patient with me when I say, "Uh, I don't really know what you're saying. Let's still work on this. And they address me with humor. 
they smile when they see me they're they're willing to cry and be vulnerable to me and trust me and so there's there's so much beauty in that genuineness i just see how they really want their world to be and sometimes i i don't get that sometimes it's more of a working because others have lost trust and so it's just a, a different way of working with clients so i really enjoy that aspect i work with other populations as well um in the rest of my life but uh, in this capacity, that's the thing that I enjoy. I also enjoy being a voice for people who sometimes don't have a voice because of that communication barrier. Yeah. So I, I just enjoy being an advocate. Sometimes um, I think we can all relate to when we didn't feel understood and we didn't feel like somebody was an advocate for us. Yeah. So sometimes in that in that way as a therapist, I give to my clients what I have from time to time missed out on as well. So I understand it from a very personal perspective mm-hmm. as well as a professional perspective. So I, I enjoy that. Oh, yeah, that's so good. That empathy. And I, I think everybody can have empathy. And, you know, if if you see somebody in the grocery store and their child is screaming and screaming and you just automatically can, like the judgments start popping up way exactly. quicker than empathy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, why, why is that kid screaming? And uh, I did that when my daughter was little, and this lady looked at me and said, I don't know why you're holding her, and she's screaming. I said, she's the one with the problem. I'm just fine, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So allowing the freedom to experience what we're experiencing and know it's okay. We just have to work to make it better. And that's a process, and being patient with that process is not always easy either. Um, So how would you say that people that, maybe have never met somebody with a disability or just aren't connected to the IDD world, what advice would you give them? Um, I mean, I know you're a professional, you've had training, you went to school for this, but I love what you're saying about, you know, somebody's trying to communicate what they're feeling to you and you don't understand and you're able to be patient with them. How, how would you encourage other people to, to do something like that? The first thing I do when I train staff who come in, because sometimes that's part of what I do, is is to have them remember everyone is a human being. And in that capacity, we work on respect and compassion. And if you address someone and, and you look past that barrier of the behavior of the, of the developmental problem, just look to clarify things. When you're under stress, you struggle right? So I may say, oh, I'm, my husband comes home. I say, I'm going to cook dinner in about 30 minutes, and then I get busy. And then if I don't have a reminder, he'll say, you know, it's been two hours since you said 30 <laughs> minutes ago. Oh, yes. And then I stop what I'm doing to do that. And remembering to not get angry when you have to prompt somebody else again. And so you remember just that human compassion and connectedness yeah. and say, this is a human being I'm working with. And don't dehumanize someone because each of us has had an injury or something that laid us down and we can't do even what we all, we, we want to do. Right. So not oh. to have a higher expectation of someone else who's really struggling to make life work out. Mm-hmm. So we just need to remember that. And I think that's true for in any capacity with someone we deal with, whether it's at Walmart, the cashier that's not bagging your groceries the right <laughs> way. You know, we, we just really need to have compassion and go, you know, I don't know if they're having a bad day today. And to remember that compassion, this is a human being and we need to be treated with that respect. Yeah. Oh. And by the way, treat ourselves with that respect as well. Okay, now you're preaching. (laughs) I think I needed to hear that today. (laughs) Is there anything else that you can think of that 
our listeners would need to hear as we start entering into this world of all of these episodes. You know, our first um, episodes, full episodes are going to be a mom talking about her two kids on the spectrum. Um, and we're going to, you know, go into all kinds of different topics. So any anything else that we need to lay the groundwork for everybody? You know, I think foundationally, one of the things that I used to do when I do group therapies, when I would dismiss the group at the end of our session, I would always say, be good to yourself today. And it would that would cue the clients. It was time. we Now we're free. We can get up and go and do what we want to do. And I, I've started, I had a client comment one time and say, you know, that was the thing that changed my life because I, every day I would forget to, to do something for myself. And whether it's a caregiver or whether you're the client and, and you know that you have these struggles, today's been a hard day. Every day we have to know to be good to ourselves because that's what empowers us to get to get our our goals accomplished. So if my goal is to help my loved one get through this disability today, then I need to also refresh myself. I have to have staff that's good to themselves because if they're not fit, they're not going to be good for the client either. And the client has to learn to be good to myself and not be so hard on myself because there are things I want to accomplish. And maybe today's been a struggle, but tomorrow may not be. So we always have to have that hope, and that's the foundation. I put it on my pens. Be good to yourself today. I mean, do you have a copyright on this? Like, <laughs> I mean, I've actually I've been, been trying working to... on that. Actually, <laughs> trademark that. That's so great. Uh, yeah, I've been wanting to have something that I can send everybody off in this podcast. But I mean, would you be okay with that? Like, sure. be good to yourself. That's Just a tag great me message. On it. I'll, I'll get you. We'll we'll definitely refer everybody back to this first episode. I mean, it's okay. it's on record here. Right. So you Good. said it first. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking with me today. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's been very enjoyable. And I, I would really love to have you back again for Lord knows what episode. Sure. Um, well, we'll have I'm, many more to come. I'm so. sure other people have more important things to talk about. Than oh, I don't know about stuff. that. <laughs> no, be good to yourself here. Oh, okay. okay. Thank you. <laughs> now who's the therapist? There right? we go. Just <laughs> work it back and forth. That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for our very first episode. We hope you have a better understanding now of what IDD means. Join us next week for part one of my conversation with a mom who has two children on the autism spectrum. She shares the journey of her and her husband becoming empty nesters, a title she didn't think would be hers for a really long time and maybe ever. You won't want to miss this. And friend, just as Stephanie says, be good to yourself.